You're listening to The Other Connor Podcast, a part of the Hockey Podcast Network. Here's your host, Connor Halley. Hello, Oilers fans, and thank you once again for tuning in to The Other Connor Podcast here on the Hockey Podcast Network. I am your host, Connor Halley. And before we get into the Oilers conversation, and we will do so, I want to thank our sponsor, DraftKings. The second round is in full swing, and the action increases from game to game. This is where the contenders are separated from the pretenders. To give you some skin in the game, DraftKings will be offering free-to-play pools every day of the basketball playoffs, offering players a free shot at up to $10,000 in total prizes. That's up to $10,000 in total prizes up for grabs each day. The best part? It's totally free to play. DraftKings free-to-play pools are easy to enter. Just download the DraftKings app. Go to the pools section and choose from a wide variety of the free contests for an opportunity to win cash prizes. All you have to do is enter a handful of questions around what you think is going to happen during that day's games and track the results throughout the evening. Questions will range from which team will score the most threes to which team will score first. DraftKings is safe, secure, and reliable, so you can deposit and withdraw your money at your convenience. Download the top-rated DraftKings app now and use promo code THPN when you sign up to get your free shot at $10,000 in total prizes every day of the hockey playoffs. Head to DraftKings Pools page to get your shot at huge cash prizes. That's promo code THPN for a limited time only at DraftKings. Eligibility restrictions apply. See DraftKings.com for full details. Thank you once again for tuning in to the other Connor podcast here on the Hockey Podcast Network. Once again, I am Connor Halley. If you'd like to give me a follow on Twitter, you can at Connor Halley. And we've got a great show for you here on the podcast. We're going to talk to former NHLer, former member of the Edmonton Oilers, now in the media side. He's one half of the Jason Greger show on TSN 1260. Jason Strudel will drop by later on in the show to talk about what the offseason is like for an NHLer. What's going through the Oilers players' minds right now? Are you ticked off about the way the season ended? Are you trying to move on? When do you get back into training? All sorts of stuff like that. We'll talk to Jason Strudwick later on here on the Other Connor Podcast. We're also going to talk to Tom Gazzola. He, of course, the host of the pre- and post-game shows on TSN 1260. He does a lot of other stuff, and we'll touch on that in the interview. But Tommy will join me later as well. A couple news and notes to get to regarding the Edmonton Oilers. Former member of the team, Luke Gazdick. Officially announcing his retirement from the NHL, he, of course, was drafted by the Dallas Stars. Didn't end up playing for the Stars. Picked up by the Edmonton Oilers. Uh, he was on the Jason Greger show earlier on this week talking about you know his experience coming to the organization. Highly recommended if you missed it. Head over to jasongreger.com. But he played with the Oilers in 2013, 2014. Ended up getting into 67 games. Had a couple goals, a couple assists. More importantly, 127 penalty minutes, of course, If you remember, he was a bit of an enforcer for the Edmonton Oilers. The next season, he played in 40 games for the team, only had 43 pims, 3 points. In 2015-2016, he suited up in 29 games. Uh, That was the last he played for the Edmonton Oilers. Then he would go on to the New Jersey Devils, play a handful of games there. He wrapped up his career playing in the AHL with the San Diego Gulls, the affiliate of the Anaheim Ducks. He announced his retirement, so congratulations to Luke Gazdick on an outstanding career. We wish him all the best uh, for current Oilers or kind of current Oilers, potentially maybe not Oilers for much longer. Uh, Dominic Cahoon, he's representing Germany at the World Hockey Championships. He scored the tying goal and a goal in the shootout as Germany knocks off Switzerland. They advance to the semifinals on Saturday where they will take on Finland. If you missed it, Canada defeated Russia 2-1 in overtime. Canada will now take on the United States on Saturday who defeated Slovakia 6-1. 
Enough of that, though. Let's get to our guest now. We'll start off with Jason Strudwick, former NHLer, as well as one half of the Jason Greger Show, which you can hear on TSN 1260 Monday through Friday from 2 to 6. I had a conversation with Struddy earlier on today. Let's get to that right now. We're now joined by Jason Strudwick. You can hear him daily on the Jason Greger Show on TSN 1260 Monday through Friday from 2 to 6. Also had a pretty good career in the NHL. Jason, thanks a lot for doing this today. How are you doing? I'm great. How are you making out? I'm uh, I'm doing pretty good, Struddy. Of course, uh, summer is here, and uh, we're keeping the podcast going and trying to fill it up with the content here. I wanted to have you on because, obviously, you played a long time in the NHL, and uh, you, unfortunately, know what the Oilers are going through right now, the feeling that they must have. So for someone in the NHL, uh, I mean, not an 82-game season, but you put a lot of work and effort into the regular season. You get into the playoffs, and it doesn't last as long as you would have expected. I mean, how long do you think it takes for a player to get over it right now? Uh, is it something that kind of stings and motivates you through the off season, or is it just another loss? No, you definitely. I think it depends on your expectations. And I think the Oilers' expectations for themselves were higher than a four-game sweep to the Jets. So I think it really stings. Um, you know, you can, you can go one of two ways. You're going to feel sorry for yourself for a bit, maybe have a few nights of drinking to burn it out. Uh, and then it should be motivating, you know, and, and quite frankly, you should be pissed off and kind of think back on what happened, um, you know, what you could have done different as an individual, as a team, and and, and kind of just prepare yourself because you have to learn. You know, you have to learn from these experiences. And, and if you're not at learning, you're, you're, you're kind of bound to make the same or repeat the same type of mistakes. So I think always just reflecting on what, you know, how can I do better? What can I do differently in this situation? Like, a, not to pick on, but Archibald, you know, like, is that the best time to get back at someone? The clip, probably not, um, and and that's a lesson that he can learn. But the whole team can see too. Like it's, there's just there's times for getting even, and there's times to win games. And I, I don't think uh, that lesson will be lost on the orders for sure. So in your playing days, I mean, the season ends. Let's just say for uh, to make it easier, let's say on June first. How long do you think the average NHLer takes off, and maybe vacations, maybe you travel, party a little bit before the training starts up again, or do you just keep on working out? Like, does it ever really end? No, it doesn't change. You know, for a lot of these guys, they're going like to a body shop, get their body fixed up, you know, some repairs and stuff like that. Um, and then you're right back into it. And again, it's similar stuff. Okay, what, what did I like about my season? Um, you know, for off ice, do I need to get stronger, faster? I need to have, you know, better wind or whatever. Then it's like on ice. Okay, what do I need to work on on ice? And they kind of just go through it. You know, you kind of have a, a checklist of things that worked well, things you want to improve on. Do I need to find a different trainer, an additional trainer, a bond ice trainer? You know, should I need to see skating more, skating less? Like, you're always trying to evolve and improve because what happens is that there's always new players coming in trying to push you out. And you've got to, you know, you've got to fight to get into the NHL. You've got to fight to stay there. Then you've got to fight to not get pushed out early or at all. So it's, it's a never-ending battle. And uh, for these guys say it's pretty much year-round. One guy who I think took huge strides this year was Darnell Nurse. I want to ask you, uh, what do you think he would look to add to his game? I mean, he took strides in the offensive zone that last game against the Jets. He like, he played two two games, basically. Like The guy is yeah. in outstanding physical condition. What can he add to his game to, to be even better? I think you know he's got his game to a level that's quite high, so I think he wants to maintain that. His condition is great. What I'd look at are... You know, is there an area of my body or, or my whole body? How can I um, work on preventing injuries? You know, is is there? You know, can I work on my flexibility? Can I improve my or just even my my? Uh, you know, after a game, what can I do? What kind of uh, a workout or whatever treatment can I do to make sure that I'm I'm getting the maximum amount of recovery possible between games? Because it's clear that I mean, he he can play a lot of minutes. 
which is awesome. But you want to keep coming back fresher and fresh, or as fresh as possible. So, you know, he, he obviously is on the right stride with his, his on-ice work, his off-ice work, conditioning is crazy. So that's kind of the next thing. Like, where, where do I go to, to make sure I'm getting the, the most recovery possible after every single game and even practice for that matter? Now, I, I've heard some stories about LeBron James and, uh, you know, other athletes spending like one million dollars in maintenance on their body, and that to me seems crazy. I know there, there's the, the hyperbaric chambers that they use, obviously masseuse. I'm sure you factor in diet when it comes to that. When you played, what was the off season regimen like, and and did you put anything near that amount of money into your body? Well, I put more, put more than that. Yeah, LeBron is actually <laughs> barely spending any money. What a cheapskate! <laughs> um, you know what? I, I as I got older, I really got into yoga, and I, I realized I needed to have a elasticity in my muscles. And, um, you know, try to have them as long and as, as flexible and malleable as possible, right? So that was something I really worked towards, and I found it really helped me. Um, and kind of that thing I talked with Darnell, like a little bit of recovery and, and just that ability to, you know, get away from, you know, and I, not that Darnell's had injury problems, but like, you know, little nagging groin issues or, or you know, sore shoulders or whatever, tightness. I always, you know, I try to identify those areas in my body and try to, to become more diligent in, in, in opening those areas up so there's greater flexibility and less risk of kind of like, you know, self-inflicted injuries. I'm not talking about someone taking a run at you and your shoulder getting sore. I'm talking about something you can maybe treat, um, you know, both in and out of season, they can they can help you out. And I, I found yoga to be really good, but I know there's lots of different ways. But uh, that was the one system that worked well for me. Uh, someone who faced a little bit of adversity this off season, more than anyone should, Ethan Bear. Uh, obviously, uh, kind of an up and down year for him. What we saw after the season with uh, you know the racial slurs being used towards him, I think you and I both agree. Just no need for that in sport. No need for that really. In any aspect of life, it was ridiculous to hear that happen and disappointing. But the way he responded, I thought, you know, the maturity level was amazing. For being still just such a young man and, and going through all that, I can say he probably handled it better than I did. There might have been a little bit more lashing out if it were me. Yeah. But uh, he did a very good job on the ice study. What do you think Ethan Bear has to do to, to improve his game? Because we've seen, we've seen the good, but there's just been the bad that's kind of crept in as well. Yeah, that, you know, first off, you know, you're talking about those comments are gutless by, you know, anyone. Who did it? And then the worst part is they do it nameless or anonymously. It's a joke. Uh, I, you know, I can tell you, I played a long time in the NHL, and not once did I have a fan say anything to my face. It was, it was, you know, rude. And I'm not even saying it's similar to Ethan, but just saying I sucked. And then I go on to the, you know, I'd, I'd go on to Twitter, and people are just roasting me. You know what I mean? They would never say it to your face. So it's obviously a gutless, uh, you know, spineless person with with no morals, no clue. Um, and Ethan handled it really well. Like I give, he's he's he showed a lot of maturity and, and strength um, that I think we should all appreciate. As far as on the ice, um, you know, I think he was he wasn't quite prepared for this season, and and he's a young player still learning the the, the NHL professionalism that's, that's needed. And this goes for a lot of guys. But the last two seasons have been really weird. You know, the restart last year, then the, the odd start short season this year. I think he's a guy who sits down with his. People, you know, whether that's agent, uh, maybe the, the coach of the Oilers, um, the trainers of the Oilers, and say, okay, what does my off season look like, and where do I need to be to have the maximize my off season? So well, I don't think a lot of time needed off. Get your body back and right. Make sure it's healthy. Then you get back to into the gym. You get back on the ice. You get back onto you know whatever is riding your bike, whatever whatever the program is, and you have the best season. So you come absolutely the best tip-top shape on and off the ice you can have and ready for a great season. I think that's what we can expect from Ethan Bear.
And, I mean, when you look at him and the Oilers' depth on defense, going to get a little bit better here, potentially Evan Bouchard. Down the road, you've also got uh, Philip Broberg. I mean, what do you think is the ceiling for a guy like Ethan Bear? Is is it maxing out as a top you know, power play guy, second unit, second line guy? Like, where do you think he can be? Well, I really hope it's a, at least a top uh, top four, like a, you know maybe a three, four, five somewhere in there, and, and that's a great thing to be. But you know, his biggest asset is his ability to make quick plays with the puck. No one else on the Oilers does that defensively. Now, a guy coming Bouchard can do it. So to have two guys like that they can get the puck out of their zone and make that happen, I think it's great. Um, but to be at that level and be able to do it, you know, from the first minute to the sixty minutes of any game, and then game one through seven, if you get to the playoffs, you've got to be in that in that top shape and uh, you know he might even you know and I look back on my career one thing I regret not doing is going to spend some time with other players that I played with in other cities so you know can Ethan Bear say hey Darnell can I come train with you for two weeks and really see what Darnell the level he's pushed himself to you know I wish I would have gone to Sweden was when I played with the Canucks a lot of Swedes I was invited I was like I know I don't know I should have gone and just seeing how they do it. Open your eyes to new training techniques um, and see what they do. Or even another guy, you just go and you know, train with a group of guys. And, you know, a lot of his lot in Toronto or Vancouver. Go train around there. Just kind of get different angles, different perspectives to push yourself and get out of your comfort zone. Uh, and that will, again, take you to another level both on and off the ice. And listen, Ethan's a smart guy. A lot of good people work in the Oilers organization, and they all want the best for him because whatever's best for him is best for the team and the, and the organization. So I'm sure all those conversations will be had, and uh, I'd be very interested to see what he looks like, uh, like on the ice when he plays next uh, fall. We hear that in the NFL with uh, there's kind of like the pass rushers camp. I think Von Miller started it. There's the tight end camp that happened. Uh, even with hockey, I, I know BioSteel has their workouts in Toronto where they get together. When you were playing, was that a common thing? Like. Would a bunch of defensemen or maybe former NHL, or not even former, but NHLers like of a certain skill set go work out together? Or was it all kind of just, you know, do it by yourself and see in training camp? Yeah, we know we did. We did some. Like, it would always be wherever it said, like, so Edmonton, we'd have a skate. There'd be like 20, 30 guys, right? So you do it. Or I'd go down to Kelowna sometimes and skate with those guys. Um, but no, it's not position specific. And, you know, looking back, um, you know, they're, they're just, from what I knew, that really wasn't happening. You know, but looking back, that's something I would have been, you know, definitely would have been advantageous for, especially for a guy like myself. So I think you got to kind of, you know, you got to look around and investigate what is the best thing for me. Like, what can I, and not like as far as money, but what can I do to make, to maximize my ability? Um, and I think that those opportunities are out there. Um, and you have to seek them out and be open and, and willing to hear it. I, I remember when I, you know, I had trained for a long time, from the time I was maybe 22 to 31, and I joined the Oilers. And Simon Bennett was the guy. Now, the Oilers, and I was doing fine. But he said, you know what, you need to adjust your training. And I, I remember, and what he brought to me was like, at the time, I was like, oh, my God, I, this is crazy. And I did it, and that coupled with the yoga really made a big difference in my, in my I think, the length and the, and the last injuries I was able to have in my career. So, you know, it, it's hard because, you know, you're like, well, what I'm doing isn't, isn't, is, is working. I don't want to get away from it. But you still got to find a way to contribute uh, to, to new ways of thinking and kind of stay up with it and staying current. Um, so, you know, any, any camp like that would be great. Um, but there are ways to do it in, in your community unless you kind of live in the middle of nowhere. You might have to go somewhere more. But, you know, for Ethan Bear specifically, he, he's got to find, like, a plan from, let's call it June 10th right through till September 15th. Every week, every day mapped out, and he knows exactly what to do. Eat, train, sleep, and get after it. 
Stretty, I had uh, Reed Wilkins from 630 Chet on the podcast earlier on this week and asked him about Adam Larson and, you know, what are the odds he re-signs with the Oilers? He told me 100% it's going to happen. So I'm going to believe that and uh, and think that it will happen. Outside of the first maybe week or two of this season, this guy was outstanding for the Oilers. Just from someone who's kind of played that shutdown defenseman role, it's not always the most uh, heralded position on the team. How much does a guy like Larson bring to them on and off the ice? I think it's a lot. Like he's he's a stabilizing force, right? And you know, I, I did. I wasn't as good as Adam, but you know, you you um, you take a lot of pride when you're able to shut down and make someone else have a bad day. It's a really good feeling. Like I, I gotta say, I I, I miss that. I, I, I scoring is fun, but it was like a bonus, right? I enjoyed making someone else having a bad day, and I think that you know, for Larson, he does that. And you know, when you can count on that night in, night out as a teammate, it, it's really nice because you know that that he's got your back and he's going to shut things down and make it hard for the other team, then you can just turn and go the other way and try to score your goals, you know, if you're, if you're Connor or Leon or whoever. So, um, yeah, I, I agree with Reed. Um, you know, I, I, I think for sure he's going to sign back. He's an important part of that defense. And, you know, you got Bouchard coming in and is it there? You know, it, it's going to be that, that right side for a group, that, a team that was, you know, really dying for right side defensemen. You now have two homegrown guys going to be on that back end, which is uh, – you know, pretty unique time uh, to be able to say that in the NHL. Now, uh, the Oilers do have a few unrestricted free agents as well. We we touched on Adam Larson, of course, Tyson Berry, uh, Ryan Nugent Hopkins. Can you give us just kind of the insight to what the the whole contract negotiation thing is like? I mean, dealing with your agent and other teams, what's the whole process like? Well, you know, you're going to sit down with your agent and have a long conversation, and he's going to take you through everything. You know, what you've made, um, you know, your comparables, um, how your season went on the team you're at, where you fit on your team, where you fit in, you know, in, in terms of comparables across the league, your point production, everything. Like they go through it all. Then they'll ask you, what you know, did you like it? Did you like your coach, your manager, you like your teammates, you like where you live? Uh, is your wife happy where you're at? Um, you know, how important is winning? Is it more important to be close to home? Is it more important to be in a championship situation? Um, you know, do you have enough money? Have any financial problems? Are having kids? Like, they'll take you through the whole thing. Do you want to be in a nice city? Like, everything. Um, do you, you know, in the case of new, do, would you rather be a full time center? Are you happy? Are you okay on the wing? Do you want to keep Caleb Pellins? Do you want to be more in the power play? Like, all they go through everything. And then they start going team by team. Looking at is there a fit here? Is there a fit? Is there a fit? Is there a fit? And then you know you'll kind of rank it. You can go you know in the case of Nuge, I'm guessing he'll have you know well over ten teams that would be interested. You rank them, and then you wait for July 1st if the orders haven't signed it by then. Then the calls start coming in, and they fill the gaps. And okay, your ninth team said this, your first team said that, your eighteen. Oh, we had a team out of nowhere. Look at the money here. Oh boy, and you got to sorry, they'll prioritize what's the most important. Is it location, family, money, term? Um, you know, championship, playing with your best friend, like all that stuff is prioritized. So everything's been filtered through and you know exactly kind of how it's going to work out uh, or as far as exactly what you're looking for. So when the calls start coming in, you're prepared to make those decisions because it can happen quick. I mean, just think about news. You can make a five, six, seven year commitment based on decision in 48 hours. That's, that's a pretty big decision to make. And I don't think that fans and the media appreciate how big that decision is that you're forced to make in, you know, in, in, in some cases, 24 hours, less than that, that it could affect your life for, for the next six, seven years. Stratty, I have a hard time deciding in uh, video games where I want to go as a potential free agent, not to mention factoring yeah. all the things you just said there. Uh, it's a lot that goes into it. Now, when it comes to hometown discount, that's kind of a phrase we throw out there all the time. But I just want to ask about loyalty. I mean, how much does that weigh in? Are you uh, 
hypothetically just saying Nuge. Uh, obviously, he likes it at Edmonton. He's got a lot of teammates he really you know is close with. He's close with the community. Let's say he gets a call from Los Angeles. They make him a nice offer. Do you think he takes it back to Edmonton and says, this is what I got? Like, Is there any of, of that sort of gamesmanship being played? Well, I think those conversations between the GM and your agent will have happened before. Okay. Say, hey, give us a final chance. Like, Give us the, the last chance to kind of make you whole, right? Whatever, whatever that is. Um, and I think there is up to a point loyalty, but you got to understand loyalty is a two-way road. Mm-hmm. So if a team decides they're done with player X and, you, and you've been there for 10 years, there's no loyalty. It's business for them. So a player, you really have to try to separate that loyalty. Um, yeah, I remember the first time that when, when Vancouver said, you know, we're not going to resign you. You can come back at this number or you can go somewhere else. And it hurts. You know, for five years, you're in there like working out, sweating, fighting, like, you know, trying to be the best Canuck you could. And they'll say, like, well, what? You want to go a different direction? It's really, it's quite hurtful, actually. Um, and again, I don't think fans in the media appreciate that. So, you know, when you, when you, when you go backwards now and think, okay, well, yeah, they, they can be loyal when it works for them. And I think the player has to be the same. When it's convenient for you, you can be loyal as well because it is a short career and you have to do what's best for you because at the end of the day, the teams will for sure. Strutty, uh, really appreciate you doing this and uh, hopefully we can get you on again down the summer, you know, when free agency happens and you get to the draft. One thing for you, as we tape this Monday just after 6 o'clock, Mark Shifley, four games. How much is that going to hurt the Winnipeg Jets? Oh, I tell you, it's a game changer. And I didn't know it was four games. That's a real eye opener. <laughs> And I got to tell you, for for the, the the Jets, that man just threw their playoff uh, their playoff chances. He pulled an Archibald. Did something he shouldn't have, and exactly, co- yeah. <laughs> come back and cost them uh, maybe a little uh, a bigger degree on this one. Strudge, thanks so much for doing this. Really appreciate it. Talk to you there, buddy. Great insight from Jason Strudwick, former NHLer, now working on the media side. You can hear him daily on the Jason Greger Show from 2 till 6 on TSN 1260. And, of course, he also got into some intermissions with Rogers Sportsnet on the Oilers broadcast. Hopefully we'll see more of that. But we always appreciate Struds hopping on the other Connor podcast, and hopefully we can get him on again down the road. Now, let's talk to someone else I get to work with on a daily basis, Tom Gazzola. He is the host of the Don Wheaton on White pre- and post-game shows on TSN 1260. Of course, a long time with the Edmonton Oilers on Oilers TV. He's on all sorts of things, and we'll get into that. Here is my conversation with Tom Gazzola of TSN. We're now joined by Tom Gazzola. He's the host of the Don Wheaton on White pre- and post-game shows on TSN 1260. You can also catch him on the Oil Stream, uh, the NHL Network occasionally. He's on the uh, Gregor Show. He's on the Dustin Nielsen Show. Tommy, you're all over the place. How are you doing today? I'm great. Yeah, I am all over the place. I'm on 15 different shows. and I, I, You know which one you forgot? Locked on NHL. I'm, on, I'm oh, one of the national gosh. hosts on that one. I forget about that one, Connor. Ever since uh, you turned your back on Locked On Oilers, I just kind of forgot about that one. I guess uh, my... <laughs> I didn't. I didn't turn my back on Locked On Oilers. I gave it to Hernan Salas, who's done a tremendous job with it. And since then, I've focused my attention on Locked On NHL, the Oil Stream, the Don Wheaton on White pre and post game show, hopping on your show, hopping back on Locked On Oilers, doing Gregor's show, doing. Uh, Nielsen show in the mornings on on Wednesdays, like I don't know. 
Whatever. I just like talking about sports. It's just fun. It beats real work. That's what I say. You walked so Hernan could run on the Locked On podcast, and uh, I appreciate <laughs> yes. you doing this today, Tom. Uh, of course, you you are a contributor here. You hop on a lot. I do appreciate it. And uh, we're going to talk about those Edmonton Oilers, but first, uh, as we tape this, the, the news kind of just breaking. Mark Shifley, four games for his hit against the Montreal Canadiens. Uh, four games. Did you see that one coming? Four games, when I saw it, I was like, hey, that would have been my guess because with the phone call hearing, we heard that that would be max five, right? That's the rule. So it took a while for it to happen, and usually when the league isn't really quick with its responses, you know there's some kind of debate going on. And they're not debating how short to make it. They're debating how long to make it. So if the max is five in, in this series could be done by game six and or, or five and Shifley wouldn't be available till game six. So yeah, I thought four games was realistic and um, it, it was pretty vicious. So yeah, I figured, you know, it would be closer to the five than it would be to, to two. You know what I mean? I, I understand what you're saying. Now, Tom, it's been about a week and a half since the Oilers were eliminated by those Winnipeg Jets. So I'm assuming there's a few Oilers fans who are uh, not too upset to see that Shifley gets a four-game suspension. Going back to the night of the elimination, like, I mean, it was already triple overtime, but you guys stayed on till after 1 o'clock, right? Mountain time, a.m.? Oh yeah, like it, I mean it was so late. Yeah, I think we went to like almost one thirty, Connor. Like it, it, it was a long one. Oilers fans, obviously, I think they've kind of accepted it, come down with it. But now that we we've had a little time, you look back at that series and and you know how the Oilers played compared to how the Jets played. What went wrong for the for the Oilers? And I mean, what do they have to look to improve upon with this roster so that next year, you know, they're potentially the team scoring the overtime winners or sweeping a team in the first round? Right, and and. Listen, I say what I'm about to say by prefacing it with this. They could have won every game. That's how tight it was, and they didn't. And I th- I think that the the mental hurdles get higher every game you lose. So when they lost that game three, the way that they did, blowing the lead and collapsing, like that one hurt. Then you got to play the next night, and it's crazy how – how out of sorts the guys were and listening to them in their availability going into that game because it was a back-to-back, right? It was a Sunday-Monday. And on Monday, they were still mesmerized by what happened. So it, it was tight. And they could have won that series. They could have pushed it. They That's how tight it was. But I think it also exposed the fact that the lack of punch offensively from the second and third lines um, is is so glaring, and it wouldn't be glossed over by McDavid and Dreisaitl being stacked up on the same line, and you couldn't get away with it, especially when a team as deep as Winnipeg game plans for you, and there's a template there that was established by the Habs earlier in the year, and then the Maple Leafs even better earlier in the year, and the Jets executed that to a T. And now it, it just it it makes it so abundantly obvious, even though it was abundantly obvious before, but it just puts that oomph to it. You need better secondary scoring. And the defense has to focus on defending in the postseason. It's nice when they contribute offensively, but you can't 
rely and count on it all the time, like the Oilers were able to do this season with Barry and Nurse. So that comes up. And then the other thing, too, and I talked about this during the post-game show after the collapse in Game 3, I think it exposed the lack of character to a certain extent, the lack of killer instinct. Uh, The killer instinct thing did come up periodically throughout the regular season at times. Uh, It seemed like that the killer instinct did get better compared to the year previous, but in the postseason, it wasn't there. When you can't buckle down and hold on to a three-goal lead with less than 10 minutes to play, when you were good with a one-goal, two-goal lead during the regular season and, and, and you get the yips at the absolute worst time, at the absolute most crucial time of your season, that is a sign that the character has not completely evolved and and maybe you need some guidance from some guys that have been around for a long time. Now, that night, I pointed to the Toronto Maple Leafs and how they went out and got guys like Thornton and they've got Simmons and Spezza and Muzzin. Muzzin didn't play, obviously, in Game 7 against Montreal, but... Those types of guys. And now we're seeing it with Corey Perry and Eric Stahl in, in Montreal, speaking of the Habs. Maybe you need to bring in guys like that. Identify the right ones. See which ones might come to Edmonton and be able to be a calming presence. Um, that's important. Now, the funny thing is, like the difference was at that time, everything was going good for the Maple Leafs when we had that Oilers post-game show. And, and things collapsed in an epic fashion for Toronto since then. But I still think that you do need those types of voices, guys that know how to bring the right demeanor to those situations to help ease the nerves, calm the nerves of your young superstars. It's actually a really good point that you bring up because that that was kind of thrown around there. I mean, this is why the Maple Leafs brought those guys in. And at the time when it's 3-1, that, that narrative worked. And, you know, then obviously they, they lose a few more and uh, you can't really bring it up quite as much. But I'm sure that's something that we'll be talking about throughout the offseason here. Uh, Tom, we're going to be doing a uh, best of the NHL dynasties uh, program here on the Hockey Podcast Network. And with that, I had a chance to talk to Randy Gregg, who won, you know, five cups with the Oilers in the 80s already. And uh, one of the things he told me was, you know, you, you did learn a lot from losing. And some good can come from it. When they lost to the Islanders in the Stanley Cup final, it was kind of uh, the kick in the pants they needed. Like, hey, we, we got to be even better. We got to learn from this. Now, for this edition of the Edmonton Oilers, it's two straight early round losses. Uh, first, the Chicago Blackhawks in the playing round or qualifier, whatever you want to qualify it as. I know you and I both say playoffs. This year, it's a four-game sweep to the Winnipeg Jets. At this point, I mean, is there positives you take out of what happened? Things you can learn from that? Or, you know, do you think that they maybe should have learned from last year? They probably should have learned from last year, <laughs> honestly. And, you know, you, you take a step back and analyze it and go, why didn't they learn from last year? Well, you heard going in from the players and the coaching staff whenever they were asked about the 2020 bubble playoffs, they said, well, you know, that was a weird scenario. This is different. But even though this was different, this was a traditional postseason to a certain extent. We're not going to see traditional postseason until next year, obviously. Like, the same issues popped up. And even though this team had dealt with those issues last year and said they would learn from it, it bit them again this year, didn't it? And it was in a different fashion. They didn't even win a game this year. They faced a better opponent in the Winnipeg Jets. 
So now I think you can look at that and go, okay, what is this team learning? Is it learning anything? What will it take to figure out the solutions to this? Like how many times do you need to be embarrassed before you start to figure it out? And and I think that's in a roundabout way why the character comes into question. Um, it's it's a tough one, man. That's that's a tough pill to swallow. And then at the same time, you go, well, Winnipeg played really well and you you do need to give them credit for doing that because those were two good teams going at it. I just don't want to hear, Connor Halley, next year when we're talking about the Oilers going to the playoffs, all of us looking or hearing from the team, them going, well, you know, it was a crazy playoff still because <laughs> it was the North Division and we're not in our traditional divisions and, you know, any team could be any team. No, you were the higher seed. You went 7-2 and two against the Winnipeg Jets in the regular season. You beat them six times in a row going into the postseason, and you weren't ready for them, or you still lost to them in a sweep. Um, yeah, I, I, if we're hearing that rhetoric heading into game one of the first round next season from the Oilers, I'm rolling my eyes, and on my pregame show with you, I'm going, this is not what we should be hearing from this team right now. Uh-oh, buckle up, because this team's in trouble. Yeah, and I mean, I, I I totally agree with you. Like, it, it would just be another excuse, and no, you you nailed it. And I I didn't even buy that against Chicago. Like, they went through the same weird set of circumstances. You were the better team in the regular season. You got two of the best players in the world. Where was that commitment to defense? Why did that all of a sudden just you know not show up? And then, like you said, against the Winnipeg Jets this year, you you know you dominated them in the regular season and. It disappeared. the The excuses are dwindling. You can't say, "Oh, you know, we're learning to how to play playoff hockey." Like, no, you, you're a team that's done it a couple of years in a row now. The time now is to win, and I, I think it it has to be almost to me throughout the organization. I mean, they they've got to be uh, buyers of the market. They've got to be looking to bring players in that can play now. Draft picks are great, but you know, down the road that those might help you. But you got to win now. I th- I think the window is there, despite not maybe having your goaltender of the future, Tom. If you were Ken Holland and you know you get to the draft table and someone makes you an offer for a, uh, let's just say they have a top six forward who can put the puck in the net, but they want a prospect and your first round pick, are you considering making that trade? Yes. Absolutely. Connor, at this point, first of all, is this draft really that good? Nobody really knows much about these guys. Like Some of them haven't even played this year. Guys were scattered. You've got guys that went over to Europe to play, even though they were junior eligible. This is bizarre. How good was the scouting that was actually done? Because I'm sure a lot of it was done via live stream, uh, not necessarily professional broadcasts. How much of it is affected by the fact that the scouts, when they're in the building, can actually watch a guy full shift instead of relying solely on a camera angle and and all of that? Like, this is a year where if a team really wants to go in on a prospect and thinks that they can get them with your pick, um, yeah, you go, sure, take it, because... Uh, I don't know. To me, this this draft pool feels like a crapshoot. And don't get me wrong, all the scouts did as best as they could to identify these prospects and to place them in the rightful order. And the prognosticators doing everything in their ability to be as accurate as possible. But man, that is a tall, tall task. So yeah, if a GM's like, I'll take your first and you give me a prospect... I'm assuming it's going to be a defensive prospect because the Oilers have a glut of those, and and I'm making that deal. 
And I'm with you. And, and you know what? The more you like, the more you were talking that there, I was just continually nodding my head, like, yeah, that that's actually a really good point. It, hearing what you say, I'm almost trying to move that pick now because if you can get a guy who can play now anywhere in your lineup and you know add some grit, add some toughness, adds anything really. You know what you're getting, right? You can get a, an NHL player right now rather than the potential of a good talent down the road. And let's be honest, they're picking you know in the 20s, so. Uh, odds are uh, less and less that it's going to be someone who's going to be making an impact in the next couple of years. It's probably a long-term prospect. So the the more I think about it, the more I probably try to make that trade, even though you don't have your second or you don't have a third either, do you? I can't even remember. Like, I'd have to look at Cap Friendly. <laughs> you lost the second from uh, the Athena you trade last year. But yeah. honestly, like with this draft, it's it's kind of a crap show. And you, you never know what's going to happen. You know, Obviously, there's going to be some guys that come out of it, but... Yeah, that, that's a good point, Tom. Uh, Tom Gazzola joining me here on the Other Connor Podcast. Uh, Tommy, how about looking at free agency here? Ryan Nugent Hopkins, probably the, the biggest name everyone's going to be looking at. Uh, I had Reed Wilkins on the podcast on Tuesday. He says 100% Adam Larson resigns. so I'm just going to assume that's going to happen. He's pretty connected. But when it comes to Ryan Nugent Hopkins, do you, where would you put the confidence level at that they can find a way and get a deal done that keeps Nuge with the oil? I, I mean... Uh, again, I'll, I'll preface this by saying I've I've enjoyed Ryan Nugent Hopkins as an Oiler the entire time. I've gone to bat for him. He had a down year. I, I still put it at like 70 to 75%. The only thing that I'm wondering is if at this point in his career, he wants to see what the market is for him. If he's that curious about it and he takes a peek and he does get into free agency and he does hear what teams think of him. Um, is he looking to hit a home run financially? These are tough times financially, and the cap's frozen, so it's not a great scenario for him. He's never been in this situation with being a UFA. And, and like, where is he at mentally? Does he enjoy the comfort of being an Edmonton Oiler? Is he happy making five and a half to six million, six? Plus, if, if he gets a sweetheart deal from the Oilers, which I don't think his play last year would warrant, but his overall body of work, he's an excellent NHLer. So I'm around 70 to 75% that he ends up being an Oiler. I think, you know, we've heard him say he wants to win now. The Oilers have a good thing going. Let's not kid ourselves. They finished second in their division two years in a row. That can't be overlooked. Have they soiled their sheets in the postseason both years? 100%. And if Ryan Nugent Hopkins wants to be a part of the solution and thinks he can be a part of it, um, yeah, I, I think that there is some loyalty from both ends and, and they could figure out a way to get it done. But at the same time, that 25% of that of me saying, you know, I, I don't know if he does sign is me wondering if he's that curious and he feels like he could hit a home run financially from a different team. Yeah, and I, I mean, I wouldn't blame him. And I, I think he'd be probably best to do his due diligence and take a look around, see what there is. Maybe just get, get, a, get an extra couple million dollars if possible. But, uh, you know, 28 years old, been with the team now for 10 seasons, Tom. Is there a length of a contract that you would want to cap it at? Like, and, and followed up with that, you know, do you think his playing style will diminish? I mean, he's not necessarily known for being, you know, the freak athlete out there. That skill set's probably going to stay the same. Would you be comfortable going five years? Five years, Max. I mean, he's a smart player. Speed is not something that is in his repertoire. 
although he skates well, but he's not a blazer or a burner or anything like that. So if anyone's going, well, he's only going to get slower, I don't buy that. I think if he plays smart, he's got good hands, he's got a good head for the game, I think he can be pretty consistent, 50, 60-plus points a year for the next five years. And, yeah, those guys go for five and a half, six, sometimes six and a half million, depending on the market and who's out there free agent wise. So five is the most. That takes him to 33. And it's a young man's game, Connor, as we've witnessed. Um, by then, you know, you get to 33 and you're into that one, two year contract territory after that, basically. So no more than five for sure. And I think he could be pretty sustainable with his play. Uh, throughout those five years where I'm not too worried about his game by year five. Tom, just a couple more questions for you here. Uh, best case scenario, what do you think the Oilers' goaltending situation looks like next year? Mike Smith and Alex Stalock. That's just my personal opinion. Um, I think Miko Koskinen is a prime buyout candidate. You save now, you only pay for him for two years, and that's why I like buying him out as opposed to James Neal, you know, instead of paying James Neal for the next four years and having that dead cap space, dead cap space is never a good situation to have. The Oilers just finished off paying Benoit Pouliot, right? He has not played for the Oilers since 2017. Uh, they're still paying for Andre Sekera. They've got a couple years left on that. They've got a couple years paying 750 grand to Milan Lucic. It's not good to prolong that. So that's why I think Koskinen is the prime buyout candidate on top of that what he actually brings to the table Alex Daylock can do at $785,000 just fine this is a guy who won 20 games in 1920 he was Minnesota's number one he was playing in the postseason for the wild in the bubble and I think he's got the better money goalie mentality uh, where he arises in tough situations. That's something that plagues the Oilers too, by the way, is they falter in, in pressure situations. So if they can figure that out, that's important. I, I should have said that earlier. But Stalock has been there, done that, whereas Koskinen has not. Koskinen falters in high-pressure situations. Mike Smith is still your starter. He earned that right with a tremendous season. And uh, the Oilers have to to groom a couple of these prospects and either get Konovalov, Skinner, Rodrigue, you got to get one of these guys to be ready to, to take on uh, number one duties in the next few years. Otherwise, uh, they're scrambling because I don't know how much longer Mike Smith can do it. If he could put together another season like he had this past season, that would be amazing. Do I think he has a great opportunity of doing that? If you ask me my percentage of Smith having the same type of year that he did last year, Connor, I'm going... 55%, maybe 60 That's if I'm being optimistic, because that was a hell of a year, and I don't know if he does that again next year. Tom Gazzola from the Don Wheaton on White pre- and post-game show. He's a 1260 fill-in. You can also see him on the Oil Stream NHL Network, Locked on NHL, two guys in a goalie every once in a while. Also, CTV Edmonton post-game. He's on with Matt Woodman and Twitter at... Tom Gazzola, also on the Nielsen Show, on the Gregor Show, twelve sixty fill in. I think I got all your all the credentials yeah. there. Yeah, uh, you're now my agent. Too, by 
by the way. <laughs> you're the only person who could rattle that off within like 30 seconds. So uh, that's why you're the best producer uh, for the pregame show. And don't tell Hernan Salas I said that. <laughs> uh, yeah, well, I watched a lot of Jerry Maguire growing up. So if I, if I ever make that leap to agency, I want to make sure I have that stuff down. And I'm, I'm embarrassed that I missed uh, the NHL or locked on NHL to start the show. Got to be better than that. Oh, man. Tommy, one last question for you here. You talked about the goaltending, and, and you know, in your scenario, you got Mike Smith and Staylock both to be retained. Into free agency, is there any position, you can give me names or not, but position that you think they need to address first? Yeah, center left wing. Just go get centers left wingers that are, that are good, that contribute offensively, uh, and add some pop and depth scoring, and that don't, don't ghost on you, um, when McDavid and Dreisaitl are, are the ones that are providing all the offense. Like, you need... I like the idea of a Blake Coleman. I like the idea of a Jaden Schwartz. The, the Tomas Tatar, I'm a little more hesitant about because he does fade away at, at inopportune times, although he has put up a lot of five-on-five points. Um, guys like that, I, I really like. And then I keep throwing in Eric Halla just because, but he's more down the pecking order and on the priority list as well. But I think he would be a good add uh, for a reasonable price. But go after those big-name guys that have offensive pop but that aren't necessarily the top rung of superstars or star players but are just good, solid 40, 50 points, sometimes 60-point guys in a good season. Uh, pay them. you got some money to work with. Help out the big dogs Depth, depth, depth. Get that scoring punch going and add more threats to this offensive unit. Tom, I know I said that would be the last question, but I'll make oh it boy. very quickly here. Just just with what you said, when was the last time the Oilers had an offseason this important? Uh, offseason 06, offseason 91, offseason <laughs> 88. Uh, this This one's pretty damn important, though, because... Uh, you do have the best player in the world, and you haven't had success in the postseason in th- in six years. So, and three playoff berths. So, yeah, y- y- this is this is up there. But um, there's been some big ones. Obviously, '88 with Gretzky going, and '91 Messier going, and '06 with you know the dismantling of of that Game Seven Stanley Cup Final team. Um, yeah, of the forty what two forty three off seasons this team has had this. This is obviously top four, top five. Oh, you listed a lot of heartbreak there. At least this one, there's optimism. There's cap space. You got two of the best players in the world. Hopefully good things coming. Tom, thanks a lot for doing this. Really appreciate it. We'll get you on again in the summer if you're willing. Always, Connor Halley. Always. Great stuff from Tom Gazzola. Appreciate him hopping on the other Connor podcast. As always, make sure to give him a follow on Twitter at Tom Gazzola. And a big thank you to Jason Strudwick for joining us on the other Connor podcast as well. Real fun show today. We'll be back at it next week. I'm not exactly sure who we'll have lined up, but we'll make sure it's fun. We'll make sure it's informative. And we will talk to you then here on the other Connor podcast. Thank you so much for tuning in today. My name is Connor Halley. A reminder, if you are signing up for DraftKings, make sure to use promo code THPN. Highly recommend you do so. It's going to help you out in a lot of ways. Take care, everyone. We'll talk to you next time here on the Other Connor Podcast. Thanks for tuning in to the Other Connor Podcast. New shows drop every Tuesday and Friday wherever you get your podcasts from.